0: Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is where we're at this morning. It's here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that we see the responsibility of fatherhood declared and defined. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 that we see the transforming power of of the rule and the lordship of Jesus Christ in the life of a father. Let's read the verse together this morning. Why don't we go ahead and stand? If you if you're comfortable, you don't have to. I just know uh, if you want to you could stand and get the blood pumping before we sit down again for a little while. We'll read Ephesians six four together and we'll pray. This is to you, fathers. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Lord Jesus, this is your word. We pray that you would speak to us with power and with great authority today and that you would truly transform each father in this place by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would get our eyes on you as the true and the best and the greatest dad, the greatest father that there's ever been. Lord, you know, I just, I almost want to cry, Lord, because as I study for this, I just, I had to live it out with my own children, even yesterday, even this morning, Lord. I had to have my wife just, just exhort me towards Peace and exhort me towards patience and gentleness with my children. And Lord, you know that as I speak, I'm not the authority on the subject, but God, we come to your word, which is the beautiful authority on the subject. Change us as husbands, change us as dads, and Lord, we know there's a word for the moms here today as well. There's a word for the grandparents today as well. There's a word for the children here today as well, and future fathers. So speak to us. Keep our attention, Lord. We just glory in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Another quick word. If you get hot at any time, feel free. This is just like got family service, like being in our backyard. If you get hot, go into the shade. Or if you're cold, go into the sun. If you're thirsty, you go get a drink over here. The story is told of a pastor who is walking down a country lane. And he sees a young farmer struggling to load a bunch of hay back into a cart after it had fallen off. The pastor walked up and said, you look hot, my son. Why don't you rest for a moment and I'll give you a hand. No, thanks, said the young man. My father wouldn't like it. Don't be silly, the pastor said. Everyone is entitled to a break. Come, have a drink of water. Again, the young man protested and said his father would be very angry and upset. Finally, losing his patience, the pastor said, Man, your father must be a real slave driver. Tell me, where can I find him and I'll give him a piece of my mind. Well, replied the young farmer, he's actually under this load of hay. (laughs) The preacher asked, Where has the father gone? And I would say today, where have all the fathers gone? In a bit of a play off of the Paula Cole song, where have all the cowboys gone? Where have all the fathers gone this morning? In all of your family planning, dads, and all of the books that you read, in preparing to be a dad, did you ever think of the eternal effects of bringing a baby into the world? That this baby that you would have would have a soul, would have a mind, would have an eternity, a soul that would exist for all eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Fathers, have you ever thought that because of you, your sin was stained into your kids? Because of you, all of your children are sinners. Are you encouraged yet this morning? Man, I'm glad I went to that part. Because of me, sin is stained into my kids. All right. When's the problem? That's what I'm wondering. One pastor that I love says, becoming a father is easy. It happens in nothing more than a moment of passion. But being a father is something altogether different. It's nothing less than a life of taking up the cross and a life of self denial. How do you like being outside so far? Got the Harleys, got the. I think someone's just playing with this fire siren. It's okay. Here in Ephesians, we see, in this very verse, we see a discouragement to be avoided in being a dad. We're, we see discipleship that's to be applied and discipline to be applied. We see. Direction that's to be affirmed. We have this task assigned. That it's not to the schools, it's not to the government, it's not to the daycare centers, or even to the church or to the Sunday school classes. Listen carefully to the hint. It's to the fathers. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. You fathers bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now don't worry, he hasn't forgotten you, mother. It's not as if you are secondary. But in the roles in the family, we see it's first with the father and it trickles down in role and in function to the mother and to the children. Matthew Henry's commentary says, and you parents, and you parents. It can be translated parents here, but if you look back in verse 1, we see that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then another word is used here in verse 4 that's specifically speaking to dads. And so, special message to you today, dads, but moms, you're not off the hook either. You have a role and a function as well in your child's life. Wait, just a second. we got a red light. I didn't think they had to stop at red (laughs) lights. You guys have heard of James Dobson from Focus on the Family. He tells of his father writing him a letter when he was on a plane journey from the west coast of Hawaii. His dad got off the plane and sent it right to James Dobson. In the letter it says, Your daughter is growing up in the wickedest section of a world much farther gone into moral decline than the world into which you were brought. I've observed that the greatest delusion is to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents are being devout, or that any of them will enter into the Christian faith in any other way than, listen to this, than through their parents' deep travail of prayer and faith. Amen. But this prayer demands time time that cannot be given if it is all signed and conscripted and laid on the altar of career ambition. Failure for you at this point would make more success in your occupation a very pale and washed out affair indeed. How about you dads that are just ambitious just to see yourself succeed in some sort of career or project or hobby, and yet you're neglecting the much greater matter of prayer and faith for your children, if you became the greatest motorcycle racer or bow hunter or deer slayer (laughs) or truck jacker-upper or whatever it might be, yet your child perished and went to hell, you have failed A lot of the youth these days are posting YouTube videos of accidents, you know, guys trying to jump a car on their skateboard and just totally wiping out or having a truck flip over and they call it epic fail, right? Oh, epic fail. And you think you're going to be really cool and do something great and then you totally bite it and put your tooth through your lip, you know? Epic fail. Epic fail. Dads, if you try to do anything great in this world, but neglect your children, epic fail. Neglect their spiritual lives, epic fail. Amen. Been reading the Old Testament, and I see these kings and I see these great men of God, and I see these priests and are and are who who are like the pastors of their day, and they're horrible dads, and their kids are pagans and they're rapists, and they're thieves, and they're idolaters, but their dads are these great men of God, and we would say, epic fail there, David. Epic fail there, Eli. Epic fail, Solomon. Wisest man in the world. Dad, are you hearing this morning that you're not to provoke your child to wrath, but you're also to do something proactive. You're to bring them up in the training of the Lord, in the admonition of the Lord. Now we know that we are prone to provoke our children to wrath. Dads, aren't we? I think that's why it's spoken to the fathers there. It's because we are the ones who are most likely to be passionate towards our kids and provoke them to wrath or discouragement. And I'm, I'm kind of a comedian, and I'm kind of a comedian at home, and I love to, like, laugh with my kids. And sometimes my laughing will be poking fun at them and actually turn to discouragement to them. There's so many times when I am exhorted by Lindsay, hey, don't provoke your child to wrath, Rory, Pastor Dad. <laughs> As my son walks away with his chin to his chest and a big frown on his face. Weeping and tears going down his face. The other beautiful thing, though, is, is that everywhere the gospel goes, everywhere Christianity goes, women are elevated and children are elevated. In so many other countries and other religions, women are like scum, man. Yeah. They're worth nothing. Their testimony is worth nothing. They're not valuable. We've seen that in our own country in the last century, our country kind of coming out of that. But wherever the gospel goes, man, women are, are shown to have great worth and value. And everywhere the gospel goes, children are shown to have great value and great worth. When Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians and Colossians, the Roman government had this philosophy of potraea potraeus. Potraea potraeus and it meant absolute power of the father. Absolute power. That meant that the child, as a baby, when the baby was born, A child was brought before his father and laid at the father's feet. And if the father bowed and chose to take the child, the child would live and be given a home. If the father turned his back and just walked away, the child would either be killed and slaughtered or given, just left out in the streets. And and at that point, perhaps someone in the kindness of their heart would take that child in. As the child grew, the father had every right to just treat his child inhumanely. The father had every right to chain his child up, to chain his child in the field and make his child work. And he could execute um, uh, capital punishment on his child anytime he wanted without even being questioned of the reason why. That's who Paul is writing to. In Ephesians and in Colossians, that's the culture, that's the worldview of their day. Now, don't point the finger at them too poorly. Today, a child is regarded as an intrusion into our life and our plan and our happiness. They're a misfortune to us as a young dating couple or high school Teen pregnancy, or you know, someone who's trying to get their career path on, and they can abort if they want without any questions asked. A little girl has to have a mother's permission to get her ears pierced, but she can go in and have an invasive, violent abortion anytime she wants, and the nurses and the doctors must accept her. So that's where we're at. Alright? That's where Rome was at back in the day. Rome was very cruel to weak and deformed children. And you might think about yourself. Is there any weakness in you when you were born? Is there any deformity in you or any way that you're just not perfect? Not me. I'm just wondering if you... No, of course. Yeah, I've got issues. Have you seen my Adam's apple in my posture? (laughs) But Seneca, a Roman historian, writes, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sickly cow lest they taint the herd and the children who are born weakly and deformed we drown enter in Paul the apostle preaching Jesus Christ and he says now 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 hold on dads don't provoke your child don't discourage your child Colossians, very similar, chapter 3, verse 21. Don't exasperate your child. Don't annoy your child. Annoy, exasperate, provoke. Are you kidding me? He's chained up in the field. Come on. I could drown him if I want. And you don't want me to annoy him? Yeah, it's exactly right. I want you to rather bring them up lovingly diligently, regularly, with much concern, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. As we look at this this morning and the things that were taught, this isn't from a textbook, but it's derived from our God as our Father. Today, we need to be careful not to apply fatherly principles of the earth and attribute them to the father but rather today we say Lord show us who you are as a father in all of your love and all of your headship and all of your leadership and all of your self-sacrifice and all of your provision and bring that down to us this morning so that we as dads can be providers that we can be self-sacrificing for our kids that we can be training and correcting towards our kids rightly as you are, rightly. Fathers. Fathers. Leaders. Heads of the home, chapter 5, verse 21 of Ephesians. Men. One preacher says this headship (coughs) is defined by your responsibility to love. So I want you this morning to think about when I say you're the head of your home, how have you thought of that in the past? Head of the home, that means I get what I want, dang it. It means if there's an argument, guess who wins? This guy. All right, that's been me before. I don't know if that's anybody else. Here's what it really means biblically. You being the head means you have the responsibility to love your leadership expresses itself not by being an autocratic leader who makes decisions that bring about whatever you happen to want but rather you get to act for the greatest good of everyone else in your family that's what it means you get to do everything and make all of the decisions on the basis of what is best for everyone else, not yourself. We have that modeled in God the Father. We have that modeled in God the Son. Fathers, your leadership is rooted at its core in two words, self-denial. Self-denial. It's how you lead. It's what it means to lead anywhere, whether it's in your home, in the church, in a school, in a workplace, in a secular organization. The biblical pattern of leadership is (coughs) self-denial. And ultimate accountability for that rests on the dad. The emphasis in the Bible is not on headship, The emphasis is not on leadership. The emphasis is on love. That's the symbol of your figurehead. Husbands, love your wives. And lay your life down for her, just as Christ did the church. Employees, Love your, or employers, love your employees, the New Testament tells us. Fathers, love your children. Do not provoke them to wrath. Each of these relationships, husband, wife, fathers, children, masters, (coughs) slaves, it's all in Ephesians, all these different relationships are addressed. The first partner is (coughs) exhorted to be submissive and obedient. A wife in Ephesians five twenty-two exhorted, "Be submissive and obedient to your husband as to the Lord." <clears throat> Ephesians six one children obey and be submissive to your parents. Slaves be submissive and obedient to your masters. Right? But the second person in each one of these relationships is to show Christ-like love and concerned care. To those that they lead, making it very easy to submit, making it a, a, a joy and a pleasure to obey because you realize that that leader is looking out for your best interests. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord story is told of a a pastor from Portland who went to dinner at a home of some of his parishioners and it was obvious when he got there that the kid ruled the roost when he entered the home he found that there was a full-sized swing set right in the middle of the living room Mm -hmm. at the beginning of dinner the boy left the table and began to play on the swing set trying to hit Pastor Art with his foot. He could feel the breeze from the foot passing by his ear. And Pastor Art Azurdia says, Now this boy has grown up and is a man and is nearly incapacitated as a human being. He cannot function in any meaningful way with people, let alone serve as an instrument of the advancement of the kingdom of God. He's been paralyzed by his parents passivity parents that don't bring their child up in the training and admonition of the lord set their child up to be worthless Amen. worthless husbands worthless dads worthless men and women in a church in a community the duke of windsor was asked what impressed him most about america and his response was telling it said I was impressed with the way American parents obey their children. Only in America, it Ephesians is telling us that in being faithful to God's design, parents should seek to create a car. Sorry, Tammy. We'll get. We'll get that. <laughs> Sorry, Kendra, that was yours. you got to memorize, though, right? It's pretty Uh, simple using simple words. (laughs) In God's design, parents should seek to create a context in the home that furnishes their children the greatest possibility of succeeding in God's commands. It's addressed to dads here because between us dads, we need the greatest admonition. More than anyone else in the home, it's me who sets the tone. It's I who set the tone. I'm the thermostat on the wall. I say 80 degrees or 60 degrees or 40 degrees. That's what sets a spiritual tone in the home. That's what sets the mood in the home. When I'm joyful, my children are joyful. My wife is joyful. When I display affection, they display affection. When I speak the gospel with ease, they speak the gospel with ease. When I sing praises to God, not just at church, but at home regularly, my family singing praises to God. Matt read this song here that uh, they sang 10,000 Reasons. It was playing, and, and my little laney girl, she just, she's doing something, she looks up and goes... It's the Holy is the Lord song. I don't know if that's the Holy is the Lord song, but yeah, right. She loves to worship. My son Russell loved to worship. But you husbands, you fathers, you set the tone. You're the thermostat. Do your children ever see you pray? Do your children see you reading and meditating on the scriptures? Do they see you serve the Lord? Do they see you using your home for ministry? Do your children see you talking with people about the gospel? Might have been two weeks ago now, Aaron and Tammy and I went to the skate park to go and just make ourselves available to share Jesus with anyone. And we took five McDonald's hamburgers, and we were like, maybe this will help. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Give free burgers, and maybe they'll come listen. But Laney and Russell were in the pickup with me. I'm trying to explain, like, guys, we're not at the park today to play. We're at the park today to tell people about Jesus. And my little boy, who's an evangelist at heart, just goes, "Oh, oh, yeah, all right. That's so exciting as a dad to see. I'm not saying I'm the best model to him, but we pray all the time together that the Lord would help us to be used for his kingdom and tell people about Jesus. Do your children see you committed to the body of Christ? Do your children see you committed to the church? Do your children see you excited and thrilled about Sunday? They're going to learn these things from you, Dad. This is your job. You can't delegate it to your wife. It's not Sunday school's fault. You can't pay somebody else to do it. The responsibility has been given to you. I'm the one that needs to hear this. You, Dad, you're the one that needs to hear this. And I'm not just talking dads of like, Kindergartners or fifth graders or middle schoolers, I'm not even talking to high schoolers. If you're a dad here today, you're an empty nester, your kids have grandkids, this is for you today as well. Because, dads, it is we who are the ones who are harsh, unkind, critical, selfish impatient insensitive sarcastic provoking our children to wrath literally it reads fathers stop provoking your children to wrath is the gospel inescapable in your home because of you your kids are just talking about jesus talking about dying on the cross for our sins talking about the resurrection drawing pictures of God, drawing pictures of the cross, is it because of you, Dad? Or is that absent? Is it absent? Paul is talking here to born-again fathers. This isn't just any father. He's talking to Christian fathers. And as you look at all of the book of Ephesians that we're in, Ephesians 2 tells us that this is a father who's been saved. By grace. This is a father who's put his trust in Jesus to have his sins washed away. It's a saved father. Have you been saved today? Saved from what? Have you been saved from sin? Have you been saved from the consequences of your sin? Which the Bible tells us is God's wrath being poured out upon you. It's not gonna be fun. It's not gonna be good. Hell is only part of it. Have you been saved? Today, if you rest in what Jesus has done for you, if you trust in Jesus's perfection, and how he and his perfection, and never screwing up and never messing up, he became a man and he lived a perfect life, and he died and was sacrificed on the cross, So that you wouldn't have to be put on the cross. So that all your failures as a dad wouldn't pin you to a tree. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Have you been saved, Dad? Today, right now, where you're at in this park, you can just say, I want to be a saved dad. I want to be a saved mom. Just like a little child, you can just say, Lord, I just save me. I put my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead so that one day all rise from the dead too. What other kind of dad is this? Ephesians 4 says that this is a dad that's involved in the life of his local church. He's involved in the life of with pastors and evangelists and prophets, and he's he's being taught correct doctrine in his church. He's being taught correct things from the Scripture. He's not like a little child that's tossed to and fro with every new doctrine and teaching. No, he knows his Bible because he goes to church and he's part of the church. He's a man. Ephesians tells us who is committed to getting rid of sin in his life. He's a man, chapter 5, verse 18, who's given over to the Holy Spirit's power in his life. He's a man, chapter 6, verse 10, who's prepared for the warfare that will engage him if he goes hardcore and gets serious about this Jesus thing. Because let me tell you, warfare is coming. The devil doesn't like it when dads start living For God. Paul's talking about born-again fathers who are saved and controlled by the gospel, who seek to apply the gospel and the Bible to every situation in their life, even in acknowledging his own failures. What compels us to take up such a responsibility of training and admonishing our children It should be the gospel. It should be the good news of how we've been saved and what we've been saved to and what we've been saved from. Richard Mather was an old Puritan and he had a dream that of of his children on Judgment Day and children that they were on Judgment Day addressing their parents who had neglected their training in all things God. And he says this, that in his dream, he says, the children said, all this that we here suffer is through you. You should have taught us the things of God and did not. You should have restrained us from sin and corrected us, but did not. You were the means of our original corruption and guiltiness, and yet you never showed any competent care that we might be delivered from it. Woe unto us that we had such carnal and careless parents, and woe unto you that you had no more compassion and pity to prevent the everlasting misery of your own children. Is that strong or what? Did you think dads? When you got your wife pregnant, that you were creating a soul, (laughs) that you were creating an eternity. Do you realize how responsible you are? The good news is that where we've failed, where we've neglected our children, there is grace today. Man, there is coming to Jesus today and saying, I have failed I need you. I need your power, I need your wisdom. I need, I need your patience, I need your care. I've been provoking my child to wrath. I've been discouraging my child. Every way that I've ever disciplined or corrected them or been you know, double-minded, or just, I've provoked my child. They've been discouraged because of me. To this day, my son is discouraged because of me. To this day, my son can't hold a job. He's undisciplined. He's an addict. It's because of me. It's not all because of you. Not every situation is that way. But if you would know today that that's you, you need to know that there's grace. That God's grace covers your sin and forgives your sin and puts in you perfection. Perfection. And now he empowers you to live the life that a dad should live. To be the dad. To be the encouragement. To bring about the training and the admonition. There's much to say. But I want to close this morning with what this training and what this admonition looks like. And what it doesn't look like. Very quickly, I'm gonna list off eight things that will bring about discouragement in your child. We, We discourage our child by failing to allow them to be what they are, namely children. And very quickly, we know what that means, don't we? got a six-year-old son and for some reason I just think that he needs to be me when I was 17 years old I want you to behave like this I want you to, to you know be around people like this I want you to be responsible like this and this and this and this and this and this and, and just this this week I was traveling to Southern California with some friends and we were talking about how we expect so much from our little boys so much from our little girls we forget they're three we forget they're six we forget that God's grace is available for them to be kids. I mean, I think about where I was when I was six. I'm not going to share things. It involved wet beds and sleepless nights on my parents' floor and Going to school with sunglasses over my eyes because I was crying because I missed mommy and daddy and having to be sent home because I was so sad and missed them. and that That's me six years old. Why do I expect more from my son? So let our children be children. We discourage them and exasperate them and, and lead them to bitterness, the language says. By treating them with harshness and cruelty, we forget their lives are fragile. Men, we must not push our weight around, physically, verbally, or mentally. We shouldn't use our tongues to crush their spirits. We discourage and embitter them when we ridicule them in front of others, especially in front of their kids. Why don't you do things like them? Why aren't you more like them? Why do you got to be so dumb like that? That's that's wrong, dads. We embitter them by showing favoritism and entertaining unhealthy comparisons. Why don't you be like your older brother? Why can't you be more quiet like your sister? And we see in the Bible there's times where there was favoritism. Isaac showed favoritism to Esau. While his wife, Rebecca, showed favoritism to Jacob, it brought turmoil in the home. that would last for years and years and years. Later on, Jacob would show favoritism to Joseph, which would cause radical turmoil in the home. Such turbulence. Mocked, fake, attempted murders and selling a brother into slavery because of favoritism. Amen. We learn the lesson from the Old Testament fathers. We embitter and discourage our children by failing to express approval, even at small accomplishments. The little picture where you're like, is it an octopus or a school bus? I don't know. Whatever it is, it is so steep and beautiful, it's going on the fridge for three months. That's what our house looks like. You guys are like, it's not Christmas anymore. What's that doing on there? Hey, we're just so proud of it, right? by being arbitrary in the exercise of discipline so that our children never know where we stand. That'll discourage, that'll confuse, that'll annoy our children. They get like 30 spankings when they did it this time, and this time, like, you laugh about it. Lord, give us consistency in the way that we discipline our children. We discourage them and better them by neglecting them or making them feel like they're an intrusion in our life. Hey, Rory, Lindsay, we'd love to go on a double date with you. When can we make that happen? Oh, you know what, we just don't double date anymore. We got these little guys and they just, you know, we never have any time to do anything fun anymore. Kids hear that. We've said it, haven't we? It's discouraging. And finally, by making them achieve our own goals rather than their own goals. You're going to be that baseball player that I always wanted to be, but never wanted to go to practice. Now it's on you, boy. It's not right, dads. Don't discourage them, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Last thing here turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4-7 through seven says this Deuteronomy 6-4 Hear O Israel The Lord our God The Lord is one That's like Israel's verse man That's called the Shema And they say it all the time Every day That's their prayer And they say You shall love the Lord your God With all your heart With all your soul With all your strength Then listen to verse six here. The words that I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you are uh, sitting in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What we have here is just a radical lesson to dads on how to disciple your children. Are you listening, dads? And this is the Shema. I mean, this is what they would quote every day. We say we see there that you're to teach the scriptures diligently to your children. That means steadily, earnestly, and with energetic effort. Is that you, Dad? I'll tell you, man, We I go to conferences or I go to Christian bookstores, I see children's Bibles. I buy them. I mean, I see Act, the Action Bible, and it's like, holy cow. Like, Man, this will just bring the Word, show how alive the Word is to my son and to my daughter, and man, just I'll, I'll show with energy how exciting the things of the Lord are, and you know what? They hear, and they learn. And Russell and I were having some man time the other night, And we've been watching some Disney movies and stuff. And I was like, son, let's read the word. And just, I mean, he's like, pause on the thing. And he's like, yeah, I want to read. I want to read. He's starting to read. And he goes, and I want a big boy Bible. And he's like, can I have this one? And he picks up the, the Bible Lindsay got me for our wedding day. Can I have this one? And I'm like, well, maybe not that one. And I found him this big black Bible. And I go, you can have this one, man. It's got tabs and everything. And he starts reading it. And we start reading it together, and he's like, Tell me about when Satan tempts Jesus. And we read that. He's like, What's going on? And we're just, and he was talking about it like, like a 14 year old kid. Amen. And I was so encouraged. I'm just like, Oh, Lord, all those mornings that we read before school and we read before bed, we're seeing fruit from it. Amen. You guys, they're listening. Don't get discouraged. Keep up with it. Because it says there, in Deuteronomy. That you're to teach these things diligently. You're to talk of them when you sit at your house. Almost at every couch or table around our house, we have children's Bibles. Right. And I've got uh, children's catechism marked in my iPad. And while we're sitting there eating, I'll go to the children's catechism. And what it is, is it's just questions to ask your child to teach them about the Lord. Like, who made you? Um, God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did He make you? For His own glory, you know. And he just goes on and on and on. And they learn it, and they you teach it to them. It's so fun. We read there: "You're to teach while you walk by the way." While you walk by the way, I was with Elliot, Elliot Wood last fall, and him and his dad Scott. <laughs> we were walking Barnes Butte to the lake there, and Elliot had a Bible in a little tiny perfectly fit pouch and he takes out he's eight years old he takes this Bible out and he read four chapters of Genesis while we were walking and he's like what about this and what about this and I was like dude it's like Deuteronomy 6 right here with Elliot when you walk by the way when you lie down have Bibles by your bedstands, dad when you rise up give the Lord the first fruits of your morning with you and your family Lindsay was remarking the other day, she goes, man, the kids haven't watched any TV today. And they've just been playing so well together. They've been so unselfish in serving each other. And I was like, man, we just need to make sure that we're given the first fruits of our day to the Lord. And we trust that when we do that, he's going to direct the rest of our paths. We're almost done. I promise I'm seven <laughs> minutes over In fact, worship team. Why don't you come on up? That's always good incentive to get me to shut up. Who am I kidding? That doesn't work. (laughs) When you lie down, dads, teach your kids. It's going to take them 12 minutes just to pick up the papers. (laughs) Get this. Dads, how can you apply this to your life right now? You shall bind the scriptures as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What are you going to do there? You know, the Jews have these things called phylacteries. Have you heard of them? Yeah. And the phylacteries are these big boxes that look like funky square top hats. And inside are the scriptures. And they wrap these things around their foreheads. And they've got these boxes on their foreheads. And they pray. And they bob their heads up and down with the scriptures bound between their eyes. I mean, they're literally doing that. And they wrap them on their hands. And they get these leather straps with the scriptures on them and wrap them around their arm. And they, that's how they pray. And I, I believe, Dad, we can do that by memorizing the word and teaching our kids to memorize. We put the word where? Right here between our eyes. Teaching them the scriptures. And I, man, I'm not perfect at this. I need to grow. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Jews have these things called mezuzahs. I got one in Israel last year. And it's a little thing that has the law written on it. And they nail it to their doorpost of their house. And every time they leave their house, they touch this thing and they pray. And they remember the law of the Lord. They took that literally, binding it to the doorpost of the house. May May we do that as dads. Every time we're going in, we're out, we're on the path, we're sitting down, we're rising up, we're eating, whatever we're doing, we are training our children in the things of the Lord. Dads, it's on you. And as we close today, I doubt there's one of us here that's a dad that doesn't feel some sense of failure, right? And man, like I prayed this morning, I just wanted to cry. I'm not the source of perfection here. I'm a dad that needs to grow and needs to learn. And so we're going to come to the communion table this morning and we're going to remember Jesus's perfection. We're going to remember the Lord's perfect humility and leadership and sacrifice and his perfect being a father. We're going to. Take the cup, which is a symbol of the blood of Jesus, and we're going to drink it and we're going to remember the price that Jesus had to pay to forgive us for our failures and our sin. That price was his blood, perfect blood of the God man, Jesus Christ. And we're going to take the cracker and we're going to remember his body. It was stripped and whipped and bruised and beaten so that our sin and all our failures as dads, as parents, as moms, could be washed away. And as we take communion, we receive this morning the forgiveness of sins. We let the Lord take away guilt of failures as parents and we allow Him to give us a fresh start to go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. To be dads that do not exasperate their children and annoy and chronically annoy their children but dads that bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and how we typically do it at Calvary Chapel is that during the last song, as you're ready in your heart, you can come forward and take the elements of communion and you can just go back to your chair and just pray and get right with the Lord. confess (coughs) confess <coughs> excuse me three weeks of cold and just confess sin, confess faults and thank the Lord for his death and his burial and his resurrection <coughs> if you're not a Christian here today and, and you don't want to be a Christian, you don't want to have anything to do with, with Christ we just encourage you not to take communion, the Bible says in First Corinthians that you would be drinking in and in eating in an unworthy manner and you'd be drinking judgment upon yourself. But the good news is, is that today you can receive Jesus. You can accept that sacrifice and under, you, you just say in your heart, I understand that sacrifice was for me. I want my sins to be washed away and forgotten. I want to be saved, Rory, like you were talking about earlier. I want to have a new heart and a new life. And as the Holy Spirit, as God draws you today, you can be saved. You can put your trust in Him. And you can come forward and take communion and just thank God for His blood and His body that he laid down for you, for you this morning.